Hello, church. We're going to begin our time together today with our scripture memorization. We have been in the book of Revelations as we have been working through our global outreach conference, uh, enjoying our time together last week with Joseph K. Joseph and David Hilt from Global Disciples. And we've been memorizing our theme verse for the global outreach conference. It's from Revelation chapter 14. Verse 6, we can say it together this morning. You can say it in your homes with me. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. Revelation 14, verse 6. Well, here we are, church. This is truly an unprecedented time, and I want to thank you all for joining us online today. I would remind you that we are going to be posting some great content online for you to engage with over the next few weeks. We will actually have something ready for you online Saturday through Thursday. Some of our ministries, including Awana, are preparing material to put online on a regular basis, and so there will be plenty to keep you busy over the time that you're locked away during this pandemic. If you're gathering in your homes uh, with families or with other couples today, we've provided a copy of the service format that you might use. Uh, You can find it right on the front of your weekly, which is available to you online. It's also available in our app. The lyrics to the music that have been chosen for today's service, if they're not already in the video itself, they've actually also been printed on the inside of the weekly for you to follow along with. Note guides for the sermon are available and discussion guides for after the sermon are available as well. And we've also built in a time of giving gifts. And if you've not yet set up online giving, today would be a great day to do that. You can do that on the website or you can download our app and set it up right inside the app. Or if you prefer to mail contributions to Calvary Monument Bible Church, you can place a stamp on your envelope today, walk that envelope to your mailbox and pretend that that mailbox uh, is the offering plate today. There's also going to be content available to you in the weekly for 7th to 12th grade students as well as children. Uh, Look for the links in the weekly to those resources. I would encourage you each week as you gather, appoint a leader in your home to lead a time of prayer, perhaps an usher to take the offering to the mailbox or to help with the setup of online giving. And maybe, maybe you would even ask the most musically inclined person in your home to lead the time of music that we'll have prepared for you each week. So now take a moment, grab your coffee, grab a cup of tea, perhaps chai, a Bible, a note guide, a pen, and print a few copies of the weekly off. If you don't have a printer, open up your app and find the note guide right inside your app for today's sermon. And now would be a good time to hit the pause button, work through the service format that's in the weekly, And we'll pick this back up when you're ready to start. Okay, so the question, church, is where are we headed today? We are in the final Sunday of our Global Outreach Conference, and we want to be faithful to deal with the verse that was selected as the theme verse for this year's conference. And I want to thank our global partnership team, our missions committee, for dropping us 
right smack dab in the middle of the book of Revelation for this year's conference. Certainly a difficult text for us to deal with, but a good text nonetheless. This book, the book of Revelations, can be considered a laboriously confusing, perhaps sometimes even intimidating book of the Bible, uh, but it's no less inspired than any other book and no less useful for us, church, than any other book of the Bible. Perhaps you've been guilty of avoiding this book in your own personal study, but we shouldn't be intimidated by the context of the revelation that was given to John. And at first glance, we may approach the book of Revelation and it might appear to us like a dense, unexplored jungle. However, if we look closer, we find that there's much to explore, many treasures to be found and many gems of application and resources for the church. It's a book that's even written with a blessing. Check out Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It said, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so this morning as we gather as families in our homes together, we are endeavoring to answer this question. How do these verses relate and inform our efforts in global discipleship today? Before we dive into the book of Revelation, would you join me in a time of prayer? Let's pray. Father, as always, we are thankful for your word. And though we gather in our homes together as families and with friends in these unprecedented times, we gather around your word knowing that it is no less effective than always, no less living than always, no less active than always. Indeed, Lord, as we gather around your word this morning in our homes with our families, we recognize that you intend to use your word to help us to grow, to change us, to help us to learn more about you, and particularly today to help inform us how we may do a better job going into all the world, the world which you love, to every nation, every tribe, and every language. Lord, help us grow through our study of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we are going on an expedition this morning. We're going to the hidden temple of our text. And before we can get there, I'm going to need you to get your machetes out because we have to clear a pathway. Dropping down right into the middle of the book of Revelation, we have to figure out a way to get to our text. And the context of where we're at in the book of Revelation is very, very important. So I need you to take a few steps back with me. And we're going to step back to Revelation chapter 12 and work our way up to where we're at in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. So in Revelation chapter 12, we meet a few of the important, pertinent characters in the book of Revelation. And what we see, friends, is conflict. And there's a woman who represents Israel. And then in chapter 12, we meet this dragon that's representing the person of Satan. And then in verses 5 and 6, we meet this child who represents Jesus. In verses 7 and, uh, through 9 of chapter 12, we see Satan cast out of heaven and we meet the archangel, Michael. 
Then in verses 10 and 12, we're told of Satan's total demise and the ultimate victory of the saints. It's a victory, however, that doesn't come without great persecution. We see in verses 13 to 17 that there is going to be incredible tribulation. And we see that both the nation of Israel and its God-honoring remnants will face this tribulation. Those who are left on the earth, the Gentiles, will be living in this tribulation as well. In the mood of chapter 12, it ends somberly, and chapter 13 opens up, and really it introduces us to a very difficult cast of characters. There's this beast in the beginning of Revelation chapter 13. It's coming out of the sea. It's in verses 1 and 2. And though this beast has a deadly wound, the remaining world, those who are left, are witnessing this wound healed. And they begin to marvel at the beast. Those who remain turn their focus and attention to Satan and they begin to worship him, giving way to the rule of the beast. So by verse 8 of chapter 13, we have many of those who are left engaging in the worship of Satan and his beast. Then suddenly in verses 11 and 12 in chapter 13, the appearance of this second beast. The first beast has come from the sea, but the second beast that comes is going to come from the earth. And the second beast has a job. And his job is to assure that all who are left are truly worshiping and following the first beast. The second beast... His job is like the job of a false prophet. He's, he's going around and he's performing miracles who are deceiving. These miracles are deceiving the world into their continual worship of the first beast. And finally, there's a proclamation that all must worship the beast. Not only worshiping him, but also taking his mark so that they might be identified as belonging to him. And just like Chapter 13, it closes, and the number of the beast is identified as 666. And so again, chapter 12, important characters to the narrative. Chapter 13, this nefarious crew of individuals that emerges, all leading up to chapter 14, where despite the circumstances of the day, what we find in chapter 14 is that the Lamb will stand triumphant. This is the message that's proclaimed as we open Revelation chapter 14. Take your Bibles and flip to Revelation 14 and let's look down at verses 1 to 3. You see, in the midst of all this tribulation, there's a glowing ember of hope. When all hope seems lost, let's see what we have. Start in verse 1 of chapter 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed. From the earth. 
these 144,000 that are referred to in this text are Jewish saints who were protected at the beginning of the tribulation period. We actually are introduced to them all the way back in chapter 7. And here they are in chapter 14. They are still standing victorious with the Lamb. They have endured the first fruits of Israel's redemption and they will continue to proclaim the gospel to the Jews that are living in the tribulation period. So this is what we have. We have Revelations chapter 12 to 15. It's a section of the book of Revelation. And the whole section culminates and points us towards this beautiful picture in Revelation chapter 15, where John sees the heavenly sanctuary filled with the glory of God. God will be victorious The victory has always been his. It's never been in doubt. And everything is happening exactly how God has planned for it to happen from the beginning of time. So as we prepare to unpack verses 6 and 7 of chapter 14, the outstanding question remains, is there hope for the Gentiles who are still alive during the tribulation period. If the 144,000 were assigned to the evangelism of the Jewish people alive during the tribulation, is all hope lost for the rest of humanity? The hour of judgment has arrived. What will become of those who were not raptured? Let's look down at verses 6 and 7 of Revelation chapter 14 and see what these verses have to say. Starting in verse 6. Of Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea, and the springs of water. So as we look at our text this morning, the first reality that we're confronted with is that there will be a new messenger delivering the gospel message in the tribulation period. In the church age, it was the disciples, the church, who were to be the ones delivering the good news of the gospel, spreading it across the nations. Disciples making disciples. That's what we are endeavoring to do today, church. And we celebrated this reality this past week, even though a large portion of our global outreach conference had to be canceled. For what we were able to have and the testimonies we were able to hear, our hearts were encouraged by the reality of what God is doing through our global partners. If you're able to come on Wednesday nights uh, down the road to our prayer meetings, occasionally we have missionaries that come and share at those meetings that always have a word of encouragement of how the Spirit's working through them to accomplish the very task of spreading the gospel in the church age today. But for those of us who understand the Bible to teach a pre-tribulational rapture, we believe that the church will not be present during the time of the tribulation. So in the tribulation, which is where we're at here in Revelation 14, without the presence of the church, 
who had been acting under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit, how will the message of the gospel be proclaimed? And the answer here in verse 6 is in a supernatural way. It's a way that's described as being delivered by an angel. And though the method of delivery is different, what's interesting from our text is that both the message is unchanged and the destination of the message is unchanged. The angel flies overhead. He has this eternal message to proclaim. It's a message that has rung true through the ages. Indeed, it is an eternal gospel. And this is the only place in the Bible where we see the word eternal placed before gospel. And it's interesting, there's an eternal covenant that's described in Hebrews chapter 13. And this eternal gospel is certainly related to this eternal covenant. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 now. May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The eternal gospel is given within the context of the eternal covenant. The message of salvation still rings even in the tribulation age. The eternal gospel will be delivered to those who are still dwelling on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. In this fourfold description that we see, John uses seven times in the book of Revelation. And in, the idea here, friends, is that the whole world is going to hear this message. And we know this needs to happen because the Bible tells us that there's a time when all will bow. Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. One group will kneel unto eternal life and another group will kneel in fear and trembling unto eternal judgment, but all will kneel. So the first reality in verse 6 of our text today is that there is a new messenger. The second reality then is that this messenger has an eternal gospel or an eternal message to proclaim. But the question remains, what is the purpose and what is the focus and what is the nature of this message that is being proclaimed? Even in the tribulation age, the message of the gospel has a purpose, it has a focus and a nature all of which are revealed in our text this morning. Though this will be a new dispensation, a new time, and we believe the church will not be present, the purpose of the gospel remains unchanged. The purpose of the gospel has always been the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Now, we want to grasp the importance of this message today, church. 
And in order to do that, we, we have to remember all of the madness that is happening during this tribulation age. Here, we have Antichrist deceiving the nations. We have false prophets performing miracles. We have those who are found to be believing being persecuted unto death. The tribulation will be a horribly difficult time for anyone who names the name Jesus as their Savior. But the purpose of the gospel is unchanged. It has always been God's power for salvation. And it will continue to be God's power for salvation, even in the tribulation. And while we affirm that the purpose remains the same, the focus of this message during the tribulation age is just slightly altered. And so for us, church, the nature of the gospel surrounds the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, what he commanded, and how our lives should look in response. We say, because of Jesus, repent and be saved. But now, with the church raptured and tribulation and persecution rampant, the focus of the message is a bit different than it was in the church age. Now, now don't misunderstand me here. We're not talking about new content. We're not talking about a different way unto salvation. None of those things. The content remains eternal. The way to salvation remains unchanged. But what we're talking about is the focus of the gospel message that the angel is delivering. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 really unpacks the message of the eternal gospel and shows us what its focus is. So let's read it again. Take a look. Verse 7. And he said with a loud voice, this is the angel again, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. The angel proclaims this message with a loud voice. That's at the very beginning. Verse 7, with a loud voice. There's no fear. There's no trembling. The beast has no power over the forces of God. The angel knows he's confident in the destination of those who are ruling on the earth during this tribulation period. And so he proclaims this message boldly confidently, with a loud voice. And in his message and in his voice, we find that the nature of the gospel is distinctively unchanged, even in the tribulation age. The nature of the gospel has always distinctively been counter-cultural. Now think, what is going on? While the world is trembling in fear of these two beasts that have emerged, one from the sea and one from the land, the first words out of this angel's mouths in this time are fear God. Forget about those beasts. Those beasts have no more power to cast you into hell than the men who roamed the earth during the church age. The principles of Matthew chapter 10, chapter 10 verses 28 and 29 ring true. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
and why many will live in delusion, wondering at the works of the beast, just being completely amazed by what they're able to do, there will be those who still marvel at the work of God and give Him glory. So the question might be, why? What could possibly cause those who are living in the tribulation age to fear God over fearing the rulers of the day? And it's a fair question, and I might surmise for one that if the Word of God, the Bible, remains present in the tribulation age, someone may pick it up and read the judgments described in its pages and see what was written hundreds of years in advance is now coming to pass. The living and active nature of the Word of God will not be rendered ineffective by the works of the beast. In every age, no matter what is happening throughout the beginning of mankind and on, God has proven trustworthy. He keeps His promises What his word says will happen always happens, period. So we see in verse 7, there's fearing God, there's giving God glory for his hour of judgment, the very hour that was described in his word has come to pass, and then the proper response when standing in the fear of God and giving him glory, worship him, worship him. In those days it will be the beasts that everyone is bowing and worshiping because of the miracles that they're doing that are deceiving the people. They'll be taking worship that does not belong to them and the world will worship at their feet. But the message of the eternal gospel still powerfully countercultural, even in the tribulation age. Fear God. Give God glory. The judgment belongs to Him. Worship God. And look, it's interesting. It says at the end of verse 7, we are to worship Him as Creator. Look at the end of verse 7. Talking about God, it says, who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And as you read those words, Reflect back on this rowdy cast of characters that we meet in Revelation chapter 12 and 13 and remember that there was a dragon that was cast down from heaven. There was a beast that came out of the earth and a beast that came out of the sea. And remember this, friends, God created all of those locations from whence these creatures came. God has also prepared a place of eternal destruction or eternal destination for all of these creatures. For those who are living in the tribulation period, knowing that God reigns as king and creator over the very origins of these rulers of their time will be very hopeful. God is in complete control. So now we move towards this piece of the puzzle that relates to us today, to the church we must answer these questions. Why did God give the church this revelation? And how are we to respond to it? Sometimes we say, how might our lives look in light of these realities? And friends, God's revelation is always a demonstration of his love towards his people. 
He gave this message to us, church, because he wants us to live in the light of his victory. And because of this, our first appropriate response to what we see and what we've studied this week during our global outreach conference is great thankfulness. And really great thankfulness for two reasons. The first reason would be this. We should be thankful because we have a God who loves us so much that he has revealed to us his pending victory over Satan. In the book of Revelation, God is revealing to us the very counsel of his will for the end times. And, and sometimes, church, I know we get wrapped up in these squabbles over timelines and events and when this will happen and when that will happen, but, but we really shouldn't. And we should be more wrapped up in our great thankfulness that the Lord has revealed to us that he will have the victory. He will be victorious. And church, we get to live in the freedom of that final victory. It's a victory that may not be won on our days here in this earth, but we can live with boldness and we can live with courage and full assurance that the victory belongs to God. And just as God has proven himself faithful to keep his word over and over and over again, he will once again, at the end of all things, prove himself faithful. So we can be thankful that God's revealed this to us because he loves us. And we can be thankful that our God is the God of every nation, tribe, language, and people. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He's not just the God for the Israelites. He's not just the God for the Europeans. He's not an American God. He's a God that transcends all cultures. He transcends all languages, all people groups, all nations. He's truly a God for all people. And it's weeks like this, our global outreach conference, when we hear from our workers who are working all over the world, some nationals, some Americans who have been sent to all different places, that we really come to grasp hold of this picture that God is indeed a God for all people. And, and church just means that we can share Him freely with confidence. And we believe, church, I believe wholeheartedly, and I hope you do too, that that. There is no other worldview in all of the world that is more consistent and cohesive than a biblical Christian worldview. Jesus says throughout his ministry on earth, he uses words like this, you have heard it said, but I say. And when he does that, he always gives a better way. Church, we can continue in this practice today, taking the gospel to all people, even the very people that are across the street from us or right next door, proclaiming there's a better way. Are you feeling anxious today? There are many. Be not anxious. How about discouraged? Be not dismayed. Is there fear today? Of course there is. Jesus says, do not fear. Many people are troubled. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's a savior for all. And these are fear-filled times. There's hopelessness. There's desperation. Um, I got a call this week making sure we had enough toilet paper in our home. And, and we know that the shelves of many of these stores have been emptied because there's a lot of fear 
going around, anxiety. We have division over the way leadership in, in all different levels has handled the response to this virus. And what we can say is no matter what is going on, no matter what happens in any context in our society, in any place in our world, Jesus' ways are better. This is the great message of the gospel church. There is a better way. Life does not have to be broken. You can live free of fear, free from addiction, full of hope. But we have to remember, church, that if we say this, if we believe this, then it has to be true of our own lives first. Our lives, both our words and our actions, must proclaim loudly that His ways are indeed better. I have to say, friends, that that the world will never buy this message if they see us peddling it as fraudulent people that we ourselves aren't willing to live by it. I've heard it said before, this is not original with me, I don't remember where it came from, but I've heard this, quote, what happens in the halls... What's going on inside of here is way more important than what is written on the walls. And so we can speak all of this about a consistent, cohesive worldview. We can say we believe it. We can speak all the mission and vision and all of this stuff. And it can be nonsense if our lives don't prove that we believe it proclaiming the nature of a God who is for all people, who answers all of today's greatest questions. We have no need to fear. There is nothing that can stand against a God who is for all people. Our God is a God who has answers for questions pertaining to worldview. He has boundless wisdom for questions pertaining to financial health. He answers all of the questions that are out there in today's world that are related to gender equality, gender identity, sexual health, marriage. He's a God, friends, who walks with His people on top of mountains of glory and victory just as He does walking with His people through the valley of the shadow of death. And there are answers in biblical Christianity to the deepest questions of identity, purpose, reason, well-being, family, community, and career. The Bible has answers to it all. God for all people means that when people submit their lives to Jesus' ways, they break free from the bondage of sin and death and they find life, love, and freedom. What a hopeful message for our world to hear. An eternal gospel for every nation, tribe, language, and people. Be thankful, church. But there's another response, church. We should also be motivated. And motivated, really, that word means moved to action. And, and we really should think about being moved to action in two distinct ways, and we've alluded to one already. But first, we must be motivated to live out this eternal gospel. It must be true of our lives first. Fearing God, giving glory to God, and worshiping God as creator. 
No fear in these times. God is in control. And what an incredible opportunity we have in the midst of this pandemic. As you sit at home with your family and friends today and you listen and you watch, I'm sure afterwards you can huddle up and you can talk about the many people the Lord has placed in your pathway, even today, who could benefit from this great message of hope. You have no fear. You live with bold confidence in these days because you believe Jesus is going to take care of you. Whatever may come, there are others that need to hear this same message. Our God reigns. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A virus will not thwart the plans and purposes of our eternal God. Boldness, confidence, real conviction that no matter what may come, God will work towards both our good and His glory. Our jobs, our finances, our health, our security, they're all held together by the hands of a good and gracious God whose ways are always better than the ways of this world. And in these coming weeks, maybe even months, we certainly hope, not months, but you will have the opportunity to live in this bold confidence before many who will be scared, insecure, and anxious. And so we need to live this eternal gospel message first, but then we also need to be motivated to proclaim this eternal gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, many of us know this verse. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching. And church, as we looked at Revelation chapter 14 today, better for us to proclaim this now for our brothers and sisters who do not know Jesus to hear this message now than for him then to have to hear it potentially in the age of the tribulation. The gospel is good news for today, even today. And isn't it true that today we could all use a little bit more good news. Let's not wait. There is someone that the Lord has placed in your pathway who needs to hear this good news in this very season of life. That God keeps His promises. He's kept them in the person of His Son, Jesus, who's provided for us a way to have hope in this life for an eternal life that is to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word, for the power of your word. Might it motivate us, Lord. Might it motivate us to proclaim your message in these uncertain, unusual, curious kind of days that we're living in. And Lord, might it motivate us to live the eternal gospel, to truly live it, that our actions might demonstrate that we believe what we say. And Lord, would you cause us to be thankful as many things come to a close and come to a halt. One of the realities, Father, is that you have given us time to be together as families, more so than maybe we've had in a long time. Help us find ways to be thankful. Help us find ways to grow together in this season, to grow in a greater love for God, you, and a greater love for each other. Lord, help us to be thankful 
for things like your word. Thankful for times of prayer. Thankful for more times of reflection that you've given us in this season. Even meditating on your word. And Lord, we pray for the time that we can gather together once again physically and enjoy one another's physical fellowship, that there would be great rejoicing, great joy. Until that time, Father, we pray that you would keep us safe, keep us well, help us to love each other in a manner that's worthy of the eternal gospel that you've called us to proclaim. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. We'll see you next week.